0: This is Asha Voices, I'm J.D. Gray. When you talk about autism, how do you decide which language to use? Maybe you prefer to use person-first language. You might say he's someone with autism. Or maybe you're someone who prefers to use identity-first language. You might say he's an autistic person. You'll hear me and today's guest use both person-first and identity-first language throughout the episode. Many people with autism prefer identity first language and the difference between identity first or person first can make a difference to someone with autism because it reflects how one thinks about that person's relationship to autism.
1: When I hear people say, well, we have a new SLP with autism, that hurts. (laughs) Um, And I want to immediately like scream at them and say, no, I'm autistic. I don't, it's not with me. It, It is me.
0: We'll hear some of the history and viewpoints that make this language so important, and we'll talk to ASHA members and autistic SLPs about how they approach the language they choose to use. This is ASHA Voices, I'm J.D. Gray. Support for Asha Voices comes from Asha's new resource, That's Unheard of. It features a variety of tools developed to help you with practice management, soft skills, and effective treatment. This online resource is available at thatsunheardof.org. of.org.
2: I'm Caroline Gaddy. I'm an autistic SLP. I currently work in the school in North Carolina, and I am a very passionate disability advocate as well.
0: Caroline received her autism diagnosis as an adult. It was after her son was born, sort of because he was born. She says that when he was very young, somehow she just knew he was autistic.
2: Part of me kind of wonders if it was just like recognizes like kind of thing that I just kind of recognized his way. Of doing things.
0: This led to questions for Caroline and eventually her own diagnosis. She says that diagnosis as an adult answered questions she'd had. She says a lot of things made sense to her after that. And as a parent of an autistic child, Caroline was doing research that influenced the language she chose to use.
2: I was already kind of immersed in neurodiversity and the celebration and respect for neurodiversity. So when I came to this realization about myself, there was kind of no question that it was identity first because it is inextricably part of who I am. My neurology is how I interpret the world. It influences how I interpret the world. Um, I'm also queer, and I, I can't really separate myself from my queerness. I'm bi, pan, whatever. And, and so like, that's just kind of part of who I am. It's part of how I see the world. And it does not define me, but it does really shape my life and my experiences. So I use identity first. When I talk with families, or with colleagues, I may kind of switch back and forth And when I use identity first, I will say why. I'll say, oh, you know, you may hear me use identity first, language, saying autistic person instead of person with autism. And that's because this is pretty overwhelmingly what the autistic community prefers. You know, I'll say, but everybody is entitled to their own feelings and their own kind of decisions about themselves and their identity and so I'll I will also ask how do you like to be referred to but if if it's a general conversation I may kind of switch back and forth but I always give the education about why I will use identity first language
0: one interesting thing about Caroline's story is the timing of her diagnosis when she was learning about her autism she was back in school preparing for a second career one as an SLP.
2: We hear so much in grad school, the drill of person first, use respect person first, which I totally understand where that's coming from. And we should respect people and respect the fact that they are people as opposed to, uh, you know, working on a medical floor and they're like, oh, you know, the stroke in room five, instead of referring somebody just as them being a thing referring to people as people. So I understand where person first comes from, and I respect it. But we need to be doing a better job, I think, of listening to the people we serve themselves.
0: Caroline and I talked about how this can be a personal and emotional subject. And because of this, the conversations around language can become heated.
2: I don't think... Many of us, I won't say any because who knows the outliers, but I don't think many of us really want confrontation. Like we're not looking for a fight. We just want to be heard.
0: Caroline says it can take a lot of energy for an autistic person to communicate that something is hurtful. She says that when someone comes back to them with negativity, it can be very hard.
2: I've had like a, like a weekend where I can't function. I can stay in the house and kind of wear my pajamas and I can't like do anything because when you grow up existing as an other in your world, in what is supposed to be your world, you exist as a neurodivergent person in a neurotypically designed world. And that means that everybody's speaking one language and it all makes sense to them, but it does not make a lot of sense to you.
0: Caroline says she'll replay an interaction over and over again, looking for a way to quote-unquote fix it. She says there's a mental cost to the arguments, and the accusations are hard when really... Really all
2: we want is we want to be heard, and we want to be able to live our lives as, as ourselves, as who we are, without people thinking that we're weird and broken.
0: I spoke with many SLPs while putting this episode together, and everyone was making their decision, person first or identity first, with the intention of being as respectful as possible to their audience. And I want to be clear, I'm not building this episode as an argument for either side. It's just to represent what I'm hearing. And that's what brought us to the next part of our show. I'm going to share with you an excerpt from another podcast. In it, you'll hear some of the history and context behind the conversation around person-first and identity-first language. I like this episode because it's produced in a way that exhibits both sides of the conversation, but it doesn't put them in conflict. The podcast is called Autism POVs, as in points of view. And it comes from Autism Speaks, a nonprofit organization focused on improving the lives of those with autism who, as a part of their mission, hold a commitment to, quote, increased understanding and acceptance of people with autism and their families, end quote. In recent years, Autism Speaks has made changes to improve serving those with autism and their families. We'll be joined by the host of the program to talk about one of those changes that involves language after we listen to this excerpt. The host of the show is Felipe Maya. He also serves as the organization's social media director. During this excerpt, you'll hear him use person-first language. Now, the host of Autism POVs, Felipe Maya. There are always topics
3: in any community that aren't universally agreed upon, and the autism community is no different. Because autism is considered a spectrum disorder, that means that each person on the spectrum largely has an experience uniquely their own. Some have incredible intelligence and talents that they can turn into a career, while others struggle to find ways to express their wants and needs. Some are able to live fulfilling independent lives, while others require round-the-clock lifelong care. When I speak about a person's strengths, I just want to make it clear that even though someone with autism may have many talents, it doesn't mean they don't also have challenges. The same goes for those with profound challenges. It doesn't mean they don't also have great strengths. Then there are the family members and friends who see autism through their loved one's experience. The autism community also involves a large network of professionals like educators, therapists, and researchers. I could go on and on about the diversity of the autism community, but the point is, all experiences should be respected. One topic that often quickly turns into a debate is how we talk about autism. There are two ways we typically do this. They're called person-first language and identity-first language. Person-first language does just that, It separates the person from their diagnosis. So you would say, I have autism, or my son or daughter has autism. Identity first language makes the diagnosis a part of the person's identity. So you would say, I am autistic, or my son or daughter is autistic. In this episode, you'll hear from a variety of perspectives throughout the autism community, from autistic adults, to parents, to professionals. Let's start by breaking this topic down a bit more with the Delphi University professor and Autism Speaks board member, Dr. Stephen Shore.
4: There are some factions in the autism community. Uh, one of those areas of uh, division is actually person versus identity uh, first language. So for example, I consider myself as an autistic individual. That's identity first language. So those of us who do consider us, do use uh, identity-first language, Uh, we feel that autism colors every aspect of our lives, but at the same time, it's not all who we are. Uh, And considering that autism isn't a bad thing, it just kind of is, then why not just be autistic as opposed to person-first? Now, getting to person-first language, there's a number of reasons that uh, people prefer person-first language. And that is to uh, honor the person's humanity first, recognize that individual as a person who happens to have something. Originally, people did use identity-first language, but you might say for the wrong reasons. And we hear medical professionals and educators talk about uh, the retard date in room 201, for example, which was a very just. Uh, dis- disrespectful way of talking about people who we now term as having intellectual disabilities. Uh, The R word is disappearing, otherwise known as retardation, because it has gained so much stigma that it's really not usable anymore. In
3: 1974, the first self-advocacy conference was held in the U.S., During the conference, a man spoke about being labeled as mentally retarded, the diagnosis at the time for anyone with an intellectual disability. His words sparked a movement. He said, I want to be known as a person first. Robert Nassif is a clinical psychologist and author, and he experienced this cultural shift firsthand. His son Tariq was diagnosed with autism and intellectual disability in 1984 when he was five years old. I'd say when my son was born,
5: person-first language was just kind of coming in, I think. And it was a relief to me because of how stigmatizing the identity language was, because since he had cognitive disability, he was called retarded. So that kind of horrified me, and I, the person-first language which celebrated his
3: humanity was a relief. Tariq is now 39 and nonverbal. Meaning he doesn't speak, but he's able to communicate his needs and wants in other ways. And while growing up, he was never able to let his dad know how he would like to identify. Robert formed his opinion from his involvement in the autism community.
5: Things started changing, and I started, you know, understanding uh, him better and, and the world of autism and special needs better. Uh, I've come to prefer. Identity first language, and I've learned a lot of that, and I've been influenced by the self advocates. We don't talk about people as being a person uh, uh, with Italianism or a person with Arab Americanism, (laughs) such as myself. Uh, We, you know, we talk about, we can't really separate ourselves uh, from our identity questions. So, and autism isn't really separable from the person. Um, and yet, um, not every person with autism prefers uh, um, identity-first language. And I think that's fine. Uh, I think we need to respect and honor, you know, everyone. And, um, you know, that's, that's really the main thing. Uh, but language does play a role in societal attitudes. And what I've you know come to see is that people in uh, groups such as the autistic, the blind, and the deaf tend to prefer identity first, uh,
4: whereas people in the parent and professional groups tend to prefer person
5: first. Although, you know, that's changing over. You know, at, probably right as we speak, even.
3: Many autistic advocates in the neurodiversity movement prefer identity-first language. The concept of neurodiversity was first introduced in the late 90s. It views autism not as a disorder but as a natural genetic variation. But like Robert's son, Tariq, not all people with autism are able to express how they would like to identify. Amy Kelly is a family and community services director and mom to 17-year-old Annie, who has autism and intellectual and developmental disabilities?
6: I prefer person-centered language or person-first language. And uh, as a mother, I prefer that. So my daughter is profoundly affected by autism and has limited language verbal skills. I mean, she communicates well with her iPad, but um, I'm essentially her her outward voice. And um, I noticed years ago when after her diagnosis um, people didn't really know how to talk about autism around her and or even ask the question so I I just found I was getting um, almost offended when they would say well she's autistic and I thought gosh you know Annie's so much more than her autism and that's sort of what started me as a parent understanding that and then in my professional role I've had to learn much more about um, language around disabilities and, um, and I have found that I'm much more comfortable and prefer and model person centered language. Just like autism is very different in every person. I think every person, you know, has their own opinion about this, especially if they are someone that can speak about having autism and self advocate. It's totally their right to call themselves autistic.
3: A 2015 UK study published in the journal Autism of nearly 3,500 people with autism, their family members and friends, as well as professionals, showed that autistic people and their loved ones largely preferred identity-first language. Here's Bridget Rankowski, autistic educator and circus performer.
7: Well, I know a few people who are people living with autism because they've decided to name their cat autism. So they are living with autism. Um, But as someone who jumps in the professional, personal spheres and stuff, I'm very well versed in this topic. And I am autistic. It's part of my identity. It's, I view the world through the autism lens. And what other people have sometimes brought up is Look at the number of words people sometimes place between the word person and autism and think about that distance and understanding that, yes, we are all people, but some of us are autistic and there's nothing wrong with it. I think I've seen a lot of parents and professionals who even fight me for how I refer to myself, and that goes along with the gender lines of, okay, but this is how a person is choosing to identify, and it's important to respect that. I choose to use identity-first language because that's how I identify. It's part of my identity. When I do do presentations and speeches, I'll sometimes switch between the two purely because that's how my brain works and it's a jumble and but I see a lot of parents and professionals advocating for person first language and although that has been on the textbooks for a while again with the advocacy movement in some ways starting with the parents and professionals that was awesome and now it's time to hand the torch over to the self-advocates and say all right all right How do you want to be referred to? Um, Who are you? And I still think with the best of intentions, sometimes people place the onus on, well, this is how I want to view you. And understanding, especially in the autism world, that autistic uh, people are stepping up now and saying, we want to live our lives this way. We are in control of our lives. we can live independently and let us identify as autistic. So I think I've seen both sides of the topic. I've taken classes on it. I've gotten my papers written on because I refer to autistic people and said people with autism, I will take those points off and submit articles in response by my peers. Because again, it's a community perspective.
0: That was an excerpt from Autism POVs, a podcast from Autism Speaks. Joining me is the host of Autism POVs podcast, Felipe Maya. Felipe, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Following the excerpt we listened to, you share on the podcast that Autism Speaks was changing how it talks about autism. Formerly, it used person first language uh, exclusively and it moved to a mix of person first and identity first language following this episode. The episode was published in August of 2019. And I'm wondering how that change has been.
3: Yeah, so it's the change I think has been a positive one. I think it was the right move. Now that Autism Speaks uses both interchangeably, you know, we still get people correcting us when we say person with autism or autistic person, but I think it's just good to get people used to hearing and seeing both because, you know, there are autistic people that use one or the other and that's okay and that should be respected and not debated. And there are much bigger issues really faced by the autism community than this that could really, you know, deserve people's
0: attention. And I understand that you serve as the social media director as well as podcast host. And I know you conducted a poll on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. This was July of last year. You say on the podcast that at the time the the show was published, you'd received about 21,000 votes and 69% of the voters preferred identity first language. That's you know more than two to one in favor of identity first. Did that surprise you?
3: The results didn't really surprise me. I was already seeing a shift in conversations online, which obviously isn't representative of everyone or of the population, but already seeing a shift in the way people talked about it online. And and a lot of people using autistic, especially adult advocates, would prefer autistic. A lot of times it was healthcare professionals or parents or maybe even educators were the ones that kind of preferred person-first language, obviously not all of them, it's just that's just what I was seeing. I did expect it to lean towards
0: identity first language. And there are many people who think person first is there's almost a, a moral side to this, right? That they think person first has more respect intrinsic in it. But as we just heard in the piece, there are people with autism who prefer uh, identity first language. It can be kind of heated, I would assume. It can be,
3: yeah. Um, and it goes back to the history of the people who say that they don't want the label, they want the person first. And then going back to the history, they think it's a way of limiting the person's potential. And there, there's so much more to that person than just that diagnosis, right? So so you don't wanna lead with that. And then the other side is people saying, it, it's my diagnosis, it's not gonna go away. You know, I can't just like, put it in a drawer and then leave the house and come back and pick it out of the drawer. So I might as well accept that and accept myself and accept that it's a big part of myself and be proud. I totally get both sides. And for the episode, I thought it was really important to show that not every autistic person can make that choice, can choose how they want to identify, because Amy Kelly, the mom in the episode, her daughter is nonverbal. She communicates her basic needs in different ways, whether it's through her iPad or through pointing or gesturing or or even some, you know, some speech and some words, but she's not able to really ask her child how do you want to identify? So then it becomes up to her to choose that for her. And so I thought that was really interesting and I definitely wanted to represent and show that, you know, you can't just go up to every single autistic person and whether it's in writing or through speech to ask them to answer that question. So then that in and of itself makes it a more complicated issue.
0: For more from Felipe and Autism Speaks, you can subscribe to Autism POVs. We'll put a link to the show on the blog post for this episode of ASHA Voices. Find that at leader.pubs.asha.org. Felipe, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Philippe just spoke about Autism Speaks' approach to language. It uses both person-first and identity-first language. Just as the preferences vary among individuals, it also varies among organizations. For example, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, or ASAN, is a nonprofit quote, in pursuit of equal access rights and opportunities, end quote. They use identity-first language. ASHA adheres to the style guide of the American Psychological Association in using person-first language to describe attributes and dig- diagnoses of individuals or groups of people. When there is a preference for identity-first language, ASHA honors that preference. I also want to mention something else. Today we are focusing on the language being used to talk about autism, but these same conversations occur in other communities as well. You might think of the deaf community, where many prefer to use identity-first language. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll hear from more ASHA members and SLPs, including autistic SLPs. They share how they approach the language they choose to use. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's new resource, That's Unheard Of. It's always important to check for blind spots in your practice. That's Unheard Of features a variety of tools developed to support you in practice management, soft skills, and effective treatment. They're quick and easy to use. Learn more at thatsunheardof.org. Over the past few weeks, I spoke with ASHA members about how they approach person-first and identity-first language. I heard repeatedly that the best approach, when possible, is to ask the person you're speaking with what they prefer. And whether the SLPs I spoke with prefer person-first or identity-first language, they were often making the selection because they felt it was the most respectful path. SLPs shared with me their wide variety of experiences and approaches. I'm going to play a few of them for you now.
8: Hi, I'm Sylvia Deal. I taught at the University of South Florida for over 30 years, and now I am the founder of Knowledge Counts Online, which is an online school for parents of children with autism. And I've supported children and families with autism for over 30 years. I was always educated and always taught that you should use person-first language to respect The person first. And throughout the last probably three to four years, I had adults with autism who were friends who said, Actually, I prefer to be called autistic. And so we talked about it, and they said they thought that they should be proud of who they are, and that was one way to do it. So I said, Fine. So now, when I'm writing for a journal or an article, I do use person-first language because that's still what I'm most comfortable with. But if I'm with a person with autism, I'll usually ask them what they prefer because individuals vary with
9: how they like to be portrayed.
5: Hi, I'm Maria
9: Paul. I'm the chair of the Department of Communication Disorders at Sacred Heart University. I have been an ASHA member for over 35 years, and I co-host a podcast for parents of children with disabilities called Let's Talk About Super Special Kids and Kate. Uh, when I first got started in the field, which was back in the early 80s, person first language was not a thing. So I learned that you talk about autistic people. For me, it didn't happen until the early 90s. It became more accepted to use person first language. And to me, it didn't make a big difference. But I came to understand that to families and to people with disabilities, it did make a difference. And so that's what's important is how they feel. And I mean, I think the bottom line is people should be referred to in the way that they prefer to be referred to. But it might not be the same for every person, their preference might differ. So I'm just trying to go with the flow and to be respectful about what our clients want and sometimes I think you just have to ask them.
10: I'm uh, Mayor Banaji. I'm a speech language pathologist. I'm also the program director at LSU Health Sciences Center, Communication Disorders Department. I have my PhD and I'm an associate professor here. I do work with uh, kids with autism. I work with kids with autism of all ages. I also work with adults with autism. I have been a coordinator, as well as my students are coordinators of a adult group for autism. I certainly prefer to go with person-first language, so I always say it's an individual with autism or an individual who is deaf. I prefer to go with that because I think I look at the person first rather than the part where he might have a disability etc. So I prefer to look at that person as, and a person as a whole rather than to highlight any part of the disability.
0: I do want to add that Mayor said she would follow the preference of the person she was speaking with if they preferred identity first language.
1: My name is Katherine Stewart and I'm a speech pathologist in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So for me, I'm not officially diagnosed so for this and many other reasons I don't really have a strong emotional preference for either but I know that um, many people do and I don't speak for everyone with that but I think for more logical reasons not so much emotional to me. I have a slight preference for autistic first language so I guess identity first and saying um, autistic person or they are autistic for myself. So my name is Amanda Merlin. Um, I'm a speech language pathologist ASHA certified and I'm also a RESMA certified assistive technology professional. I am autistic. My brain and sensory system, you can't change that. They make my identity. I experience the world through, you know, a sensory system that is different than the vast majority of the world. And, you know, I experience the world differently through my sensory system. And therefore, you know, that that makes my entire living experience different than the neuromajority. And that makes me autistic. I can't leave that home. I can't take that away from me. It's invisible. You can't see it. But I can't change that part of me. It is who I am. It makes me, it gives me my strengths and it also, you know, it, it defines the challenges that, you know, I struggle
0: with. I asked Amanda if she always used identity first language or if this has changed over time.
1: We were taught in grad school to use person first language, but, you know, there's research, disability studies research, psychology research. Um, there's so much research that supports identity first language The word ableism, you know, I never heard that word until a few years ago, but it is very ableist to not listen to the community that we're trying to support and the community overwhelmingly supports identity first language. And when we don't support that community, we create that internalized ableism situation where we make people feel less than Um, we make them feel like their diagnosis makes them less than a person.
0: Amanda received her autism diagnosis recently. Just over this past summer, she was diagnosed autistic with ADHD and with PTSD from masking. I asked her if her diagnosis changed the way she thought about language surrounding autism.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel more strongly about it. I didn't think that I would. But now that I had to close my practice because of the pandemic, um, now I have this diagnosis. And I've always enjoyed success in my career. Um, But I've always had to push myself, and I see those deficits, that, especially with my ADHD. My executive functioning is garbage, <laughs> and I'm having to advocate for myself, and it's very humbling. You know, I'm not ready to tell a brand new boss that I'm autistic, and to redo 55 IEPs in 27 days, I can't even find the beginning of that and I'm going to fail on day one, but that is my identity, and when I hear people say, well, we have a new SLP with autism, that hurts, (laughs) Um, and I want to immediately, like, scream at them and say, no, I'm autistic. It's not with me. It, It is me,
0: the last voice we'll hear is from Barry Prasant. You may have heard Barry on our recent episode of Asha Voices. He spoke on family-centered care. Barry is an SLP and the author of the acclaimed book about autism, Uniquely Human. He's also affiliated with Brown University, and for many years, he's been in private practice, specializing in autism and other childhood and adult disabilities. Barry says he tends to use identity-first language now, but during his doctoral dissertation, he says person-first language wasn't around. Then, Barry says, language shifted to person-centered in the late 80s and 90s, coinciding with a focus on person-centered planning for people with disabilities.
11: So the whole notion was, let's focus on the person, let's not focus on the disability. Along with that came the preference to shift to rather than referring to people as an autistic person or an autistic child, to shift to person with autism or child with autism. And the belief was at the time that we were being more respectful by putting the person first,
0: Barry says he shifted to person-first at that time as well. He says that if you look at his articles from the late 80s and 90s, they're written with person-first language. And then, in 1993, an article was written by Jim Sinclair, one of the founders of Autism Network International. Barry cites the article as sparking the identity-first shift. And he read a bit of that article to me.
11: Autism isn't something a person has or a shell that a person is trapped inside. There's no normal child hidden behind the autism. Autism is a way of being. It is pervasive. It colors every experience, every sensation, perception, thought, emotion, and encounter on every aspect of existence. It is not possible to separate the autism from the person. So what he was arguing was, in essence, that we need to say autistic person because it's such an essential part of a person's identity. And... You know, the notion of child with autism, adult with autism, is what he refers to as autism as an appendage.
0: To Barry, tracing these shifts is important.
11: We have to have that historical perspective. That, you know, there are reasons why it actually shifted from so-called identity-first language to person-first language. and And the intentions were good. It was to be more respectful. But now that we hear from hundreds, if not thousands, of people on the spectrum, Again, 60 to 70% saying they strongly prefer identity-first language. I think we have to respect that and move in that direction. So that's my account of all of
0: From the many SLPs we've heard today, respect seems to be at the core of the language they choose to use. As Barry just outlined, these preferences are individual, and they might shift over time. From what I've heard, the best way to know you're using the most appropriate language for the person you're speaking with, ask them. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's new resource, That's Unheard Of. This online resource has a variety of tools to help you with practice management, soft skills, and effective treatment. Learn more at thatsunheardof.org. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.